This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. State, like none of, none of these questions, like I said, other people are calling me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a messenger. All right, they'll protest too much. <laughs> uh, the first question is, uh, what exactly in its modern context is Rebbe Khan and Wasserman. And it's been used and maligned a lot. And people don't really understand what it means, what it doesn't mean. I, I, like, I would like to try to explain it. Um, how are you? I recognize a familiar face. I'm Silver Spring representative. What? You're from Silver Spring. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're from down the block. No, you're a neighbor. See? That's a story for you. The, uh, let's explain. Let's, let's give a hypothetical case. Somebody, thank you so much. Somebody wants to open up a club where boys and girls will meet on a university setting, the things that will go on um, are not going to be halachically appropriate. They're going to be wrong. But it'll save people from getting intermarried. It's a question. So is it better? Is it worse? How do we deal with a question like that? So one opinion was, well, if you feel like doing it, do it. Open it up. You mean L'Shem Shemaim, and it's good. Does the Torah have anything to say about it? Well, the problem is there are no direct halachas in many life situations. You really, really can't um, find a clear sifr shahara. And sometimes you can when you work out a halachic tshuva, and sometimes you can't. So what, what do you do? So does it mean the Torah has no opinion about it? It's going to be clear that this is a major issue. On the one hand, you have a question of people being assimilated. On the other hand, you have a question of people doing things that are wrong. Are you allowed to do it, be a dying or not? Should you do it? Is it important to do it or not? You have a shul. You open it up for people that will drive in on Shabbos. You'll bring them close to the Yiddish guide, but you're making a statement that driving is okay. Now, sometimes you can find the halach for it. Sometimes you can use halachic tools and, you know, be madame milsa milsa. A lot of times you need to have an instinctive response. And the question is, whose instinct? Our instincts are developed by our personalities. Who we are, what we do, what we live. Somebody who lives a theoretical life, we assume that his feelings are going to be a lot more in line with what the Torah would want. And therefore, you would ask it to somebody that you feel is a person who's steeped in Torah. He's, 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 he's somebody that this is his life, this is what he cares, this is his world. And then you'll say that the value that he espouses is probably what the Torah would like. I'll give you an example in something else. Let's say medicine. 
there are things you can test for. You go to the doctor, you say, you have a, I don't know, it, it hurts on this side, that side, the other side. He sends you off a battery of tests. Sometimes the test tells you what the answer is. And that's, so that's there, you know, the x-ray shows this, the MRI shows this, the blood test shows this. They, you don't need a doctor for that, that's fine. The doctor maybe just has to figure out which tests order. Sometimes it's inconclusive. And you need to get a sense, is it going to be, um, should we think about appendix and operate? Should we think about gallbladder? Should we think about this, that, or the other thing? And then you ask somebody who has a lot of experience, who this is his life, that, that, that he's hands-on, and you figure that his answers will probably be the closest to what's right. So, so the correct uh, definition of Das Torah would be the Das of a person whose identity is, uh, whose, whose being is identified with the Torah. It's a combination of the, the amount of knowledge, it's a combination of the depth of his commitment, it's a combination of his integrity. And you figure by going with his instinct, you're going to do what the Torah would like you to do. That would be, I think, the, the, the it does not mean, and, and this, is, this is a very tricky point. Does, does the Das Torah have to know whether a coalition, the government, will work or not? The answer is no. But the Das Torah should be answering, um, is it appropriate to be in a coalition with people whose declared and avowed principles are very anti-Torah? The answer might be yes, the answer might be no. But it's still, at the end of the day, um, if you really want to do what Hashem wants instead of what you want, you need to ask the person that's closest to you. Well, the Good, okay, uh, yes. That's exactly, it, it's people that when they learn, they really want to know what's the Ruach of the Torah, what's, what's, what is it? And, and that's a type, of, that's Das Torah, in, in, that's what it is. Second question is, what is uh, Judaism's view of Gehenna? Like, what is an accurate interpretation? Okay, let me let me quote first a Rambam. Let me quote two Rambams, and the, the the Rambams are on the face of it kind of are coming from very different <coughs> angles. The Rambam is in the introduction to um, its introduction to Sanhedrin, where he speaks about the, the fundamentals of Amuna. Is one Rambam. The other Rambam is the Moran of Uchen. The Rambam, in, when he speaks about the fundamentals of, a, of a, a Muna, it, he, he brings down, people ask about Gan Eden, the topography of Gan Eden, the trees, the, the water, the forest, the this, the that. And he said, those type of questions indicate that the person doesn't begin to understand. He's clueless. He said, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're, um, you struck out before you started. On the other hand, he asks, he raises the question in Mornavuchim, since people are, every single Jew, the, the, the youngest, the least smart, the furthest out, has to believe in a God that has no body, that's totally incorporeal, why does the Torah use words that might mislead a person? God's hand, God's this, God's that. Why, why does the Torah, yes, use those phrases? The half of the Ramazan Revolution is built on explaining chas to take those phrases literally, God is not a goof, and so on. So the Ramam says, that if the Torah were to use, it doesn't say in as many words philosophical phrases, but if the Torah were not to use that, people would think of it as not being real. They would think of it as being an idea 
you know, um, I don't know if, how many of you are familiar with the famous Dear Virginia letter in the New York Times. It was a letter written at the, at the turn of the century, not this one, last one, and I don't remember it personally, but, but, but it was, I remember reading it. This was, it's a, a little girl had written into the New York Times, who knows everything. It's, she's heard from some people that Santa Claus doesn't exist, it's really shaken her huna. Is it true or is it not true? So they wrote her back a letter, Dear Virginia, of course Santa exists in the heart of every good person, you know, there's a Santa, and goodness is Santa, and only even wicked people say there's no Santa, so a whole letter like that, which basically means he does not exist, but we think of it as an idea, so on and so forth. It's, a very, it's, it's written very, very well, you know, they, they do write well, and it's, it was, it's kind of cute. But the bad point is, of course it's nonsense, but, you know, but it's, but it's good to tell kids about it, and it's an important myth to keep going. The Ramam says that's what it would look like. So, Gehenim is a real place. A person's neshama has tsar, tremendous tsar. But, but if, imagine Mashkir would have to say a shmuz, if you do this and this, your, your neshama is going to have a very special ruchnistic tsar that you can't even imagine. So it wouldn't be a great deterrent. But it is going to hurt. It, it is painful. So, so you say, you know, physically it's painful to burn your hand. If someone catches you stealing and they have your picture on all the newspapers, it's embarrassing, it's painful. Well, think, think along those lines. It is painful. It is a tsar. It's a tsar that's mezach the neshama and, and so on. But, we, but as a person gets more mature, he needs to understand it more and more um, in a ruchnistic sense. Just like when you mature, you realize that embarrassment can sometimes hurt a lot more than some physical pain. And people will undergo some physical duress not to be embarrassed. Um, there is a, there's a, a tsar of the neshama, and that's a tremendous tsar. But uh, I mean, the the, the, um, the Sharm puts it in a, in a in a very interesting way. He says, "Look around you, in your life. Think of the situations when people beat you. Um, everybody did better on a test than you. Everybody did better than this. Everybody is invited out. You're not invited out. Think of those cases, and don't tell me that it doesn't bother you." When, when, in, when in, 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 in Gan Eden, you're going to be an also bit. Yes, they'll show you in. Imagine somebody calls you up and says, you know, I really wasn't thinking of inviting you, but everyone else is coming, I can't let you sit home alone. That, that, that's a painful invitation. It, it, it's, it's almost, it requires a lot of luxurious to give such an invitation. Well, imagine, you know, you get the call and say, listen, you don't deserve to go to Gan Eden, but, you know, call yourself, so here, shoo in and, and tag along with the rest of it. Imagine eternally sitting in the back, kind of. Again, it's a marshal, but it's, it's a marshal to something very real. And that's why you need to balance the two. You need to understand it in terms, uh, take it away from physical, but to keep in mind the pain of it when, when, when a person is suffering. Okay? Yeah. I think the question more like, like Let me tell you, let me, let me, um, let's take a look, as you grow and mature, and, you know, not looking, you know, drawing yourself away from things that movies are the picture of the world, and, and, and understanding that movies are, 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 are you know, they, there's no reality in it. Forget about everything else. I'm, I'm not even going with it. Um, the sense of 
a Gehenim. <coughs> Most people that, God forbid, commit suicide, do it for reasons of mental anguish and emotional anguish, not physical anguish. A person, you know, people who, this person lost all his money. So what? He can get a job and, and, and live low middle class, you know, but I can't. I was the great millionaire. Everybody hung around me, this and that. You know, those, you can, you'll still have what to eat. You'll have what to eat. You'll have an apartment. You have this, but, but I can't face it. Imagine an eternity where everything you've done wrong is exposed and every shekel that you build up is torn away. It's a very painful process. Well, we need to be sensitive. If, if we're not sensitive people and honor doesn't mean anything to us, then it's hard to imagine the pain of not having honor. And that's why to imagine Gehenna appropriately, you have to have a more spiritual sensitivity of right and wrong and the shame of doing something wrong, the shame of cutting a corner, of cheating on somebody, of kind of not being nice to somebody, of you know, taking a step you know, uh, ahead of the game with that he didn't deserve. When you have that sensitivity, you have a much better picture of what Gehenna is. And, and that's why it's, it's a hard one. You don't want to go, you're mature, you're growing up, you, you, you should need to make the transition to understanding it more in Ruchnistic terms than in, than in physical terms. Um, third question is, uh, what exactly uh, is the Jewish view on fear? It's like, uh, the person asked me over the, he said the Zohar apparently requires every year to have a beard. And I'm looking around the room and trying to figure out who was it that <laughs> asked that question. <laughs> and, uh, I see stubble. What? <laughs> and also, yeah. I also saw the laws of, uh, you know, clean shaven, like, you know, there are, you know, you're supposed to take out some gears from the shaver. Okay, okay. So, so the, the, the answer has two or three parts to it. And again, in the letter of the law, in the letter halacha, you're not allowed to be mashkes paskamcha. There are certain hairs in the body that you can't be mashkes. The definition of ashchos, the, the place is, there are five locations on, on the head. It's, it's sort of five pretty much extreme pieces of the beard. There's a shavaruch, and you can look it up for yourself. And hashchasa is defined as a very close shave. Halachically, it's um, the different ways of testing it. Different abanim have given different guidelines. In Eretz it be machmer lat more. In America, many of the shavers, um, are, the rabbanim have masked that it's okay. It leaves enough hair because a razor really cuts very close. It has no guard against it. And um, the old-time shavers, at least, would have a guard so that you were never cutting directly the, the hair of the beard. It, you know, you weren't cutting it close to the skin because there's always a piece guard. The, um, and, and the reason they, you know, no, 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 they don't want to end up with an electric blade scar in your face. So there always had to be a guard. and that, that pretty much kept it. You never were able to get the close shave of a razor with a shaver. They've become smarter since then, and they have, and they've, they've come up with different things that can have the same result. For instance, it'll tug the hair in, cut it so that basically the skin will never get past the guard, but the hair itself gets in as close and so on and so forth. 
So in America, they have different lists of shavers that are kosher, not kosher. I personally don't use a shaver now, for the last 40 years or so. So, you know, I mean, since I've been married, so it's not, I, I, I can't tell you exact models and makes. But in, in America, different organizations do have lists of it and so on and so forth. And that's just all they tend to think they hold a bigger share of so. That's the dry halakha. The spirit of the Torah is that a beard is a tiferes to the person, it's a beauty to the person. And like we spoke before, that Torah deals with more the Ruach Hadvarim. The Ruach Hadvarim is that a beard is a more appropriate form of appearance than without a beard. It's not Asr, it's not Muta. But there's a wide range of activities that are appropriate, less appropriate. And then you have to weigh the different things. Are you, are you going like a person who works in a business environment and clean, being clean-shaven is very important? We definitely would tell them to be clean-shaven. If a person doesn't have that, that obligation, but he, he, he's so enamored with the Western culture that he thinks clean-shaven is nicer, he's missing something in the Ruach HaTorah. But in our perspective, it's a question of, again, the, the spirit of it rather than the letter of the law. What about the Zohar? Now, different... In, in, in Halacha, everybody has to pretty much agree. There aren't, you know, everyone has the same Zoharach, there's Machlokis, but the parameters are the same. But the whole package of Torah comes together with the spirit. And, for instance, if you ask a question, is it better to dab a little bit later with Kavana or a little bit earlier with less Kavana? Is it better to go to Mikveh first and dab later or not? This is a little Shasat Chak, that's a little Shasat Chak. So, so there is room for real distinctions. And, you know, Chassidim built a whole Avodah Hashem that davening is the most important thing. And if a kid came to Seder and didn't come to davening, they would toss him out of Seder and say, how dare you sit and learn God's Torah when you haven't davened your chakras, or you didn't daven a minion, or you missed it, you came late. And it was considered to be an appropriate way um, in, in, um, in, in a Litvish approach. It was sit down and learn, and at least you'll have learned something today. And, you, you know, take care of chakras, you know, it's still within the Zman or whatever it is, but there were different valid approaches, how to structure what would bring to what, and what's important, and what's less important, and so on. Every group has the things they're more makbid on, and every group has things they're less makbid on. And because you can't, you know, you can't pull a blank in every direction. You, you, you know, it, it's, as somebody once said, if you take all the appropriate things to do, it's important to daven vasikin. It's important to get up before davening and learn. It's, it says you shouldn't sleep in the morning. It says that if you don't, if, if you sleep at, if you're up at night to learn, you know that's the kiss for Torah. To get up and take chatzos, is appropriate, and it's, it's tremendous things. If, if you take all the things together, there's no time left to sleep. So at the end of the day, you need to say, okay, I'm not going to be a taking chatzos person. I'll be the kiss for Torah person, or I'm going to do taking chatzos and, and, and I want to be seeking or whatever it is. A person's got to make some choices. Chasidim will makpid a lot on what it says in the Zohar and Kabbalah and made it part of their lifestyle. The Zohar, what it says in the Zohar is not obligate you, but it's an appropriate understanding, an extraordinary appropriate understanding of life and a bigger picture, of Torah life. So a beard is mentioned, the Kedusha of a beard is mentioned in the Zohar a lot, a lot is spoken about it, and therefore in, in, in Chabad especially, it's, it's more relevant Chabad because they interface with more modern, the other city don't interface, but Chabad does, Wearing a beard is It's like very, very important. It's another way of structuring Avodah Hashem, an appropriate way. 
In other places, they'll say first thing, let them sit and learn. The, you know, in, in Litvish yeshivas, when I remember, they didn't let you grow a beard because they felt every every fruma thing is the Yitzhahara's big thing is not to learn. Learning is the hardest thing to do. It, it strikes a person in, 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 his, in his most important place. It's in his head. And that's why if a boy starts pashing with things other than learning, it's an excuse. That was the approach of the Litvish world. And that was the derech I was mechonachan. Sit down and learn. Don't worry about not Afghanis, not a beard, not this, not that. Sit and learn. Everything else is Yitzhahara. It was, it was an approach. It, it has its tremendous milestones. It has its shortcomings. And there was an approach of, of, of like a Chabad, where a beard is Kedusha, and that comes, that comes very early on. So, so it's, the answer is, halachically, it's not obligatory. It is within the Ruach HaTorah, and how much it should be stressed depends on the big picture of Odessa Hashem. That's the... <laughs> it's really like the person. It's really like, you know, I don't, you know, the thing is, somebody's a God-fearing person, goes to Shemal, they should be like, you wear a beard, you know? No. Well, somebody, I once heard a very good, a, a, a very good word. Um, there was, uh, in old Yerushalayim of, you know, 150 years ago, there was a poor shoemaker, a, little, a, a semi-literate shoemaker, who was sitting and listening to an Ein Yaakov shir, which is a And the Rav said the Gemara that when you come in Shemayim, they're going to ask you, Tzipisa Merkava. did you learn Kabbalah and see the, the heavenly Merkava? So he was scared out of his wits. He's coming, you know, he's getting older and he's going to come to Shemayim. They may ask him and he's dead. I mean, well, pardon the pun, yeah, he is dead. Um, so he came to Abishua Leib and he said, I'm terribly disturbed. I just went to Gemara, I'm going to come to Shemayim. And they asked me if I learned Kabbalah, what are we going to do? So he sort of patted on the back and says, don't worry, my kid. He says, they know who to ask which question. He says, that's not the question I have in store for you. You know, I guarantee you. It, it, it don't you know it, if if a person follows a derech that's been paved by big people by a tzibur that's chashuva, every every one of those drachim will get you to the right place, um, you know. And and, the, and priorities are different within the halachic parameter. There's room for different priorities. Um, next question is. Um, See that people think a lot over here. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a question. Yeah. Um, so. In, in, I'm saying, um, in today's day and age, a lot of the Gadoli Hadar, they, they learn, but they don't, they're, not exactly in, they're not exactly in the workforce. Yet you have Rashi, or the winemaker, the Rambam, was a doctor. I mean, I'm the, I noticed from over the summer, I learned, it's like, well, we'll call some talks, and Kalob Shishka was a pharmacist. So I was saying, why exactly in today's day and age did it come to be like, what, I, I, you don't need to work, you just need to learn all day? Like, why can't you do uh, a well, curriculum? Let me, let me flip the question around. You know, many years ago, they had pharmacists who was a Buddha of Chischa, doctors who was a Rambam, and winemakers who was a Rashi. Where are all those winemakers, all those pharmacists, all those doctors? So, so what happened to them? Um, let, let's discuss it, uh, and let's talk a little bit about it. it first of all, just to clear up, uh, one, of the, one of these is, well, two of them. Rashi being a winemaker is not all that clear. The Rambam being a doctor is very fascinating. I mean, everyone picks the biographies they like. The Rambam's first major, the most of his life, he was a coal person supported by his brother. He had a brother who supported him. There's a letter from him to his brother. His brother then drowned. He, you know, he, he, he wasn't with a ship, with merchandise. He drowned. And the Rambam 
couldn't get over his tsar. First of all, he loved his brother. And he said his brother had supported him to let up the Rambam and so on and so forth. When he became a doctor, his level, his amount of time he could learn, if you, there's a letter from him. And again, you can get the Igris of the Rambam, of Shilat out very, very well done. And he writes, he, he had given over his Moran of Buchan for translation to Ibn Tibbet. And Ibn Tibbet wrote him with a whole bunch of questions. It's a, it's a major, I mean, Moran of is a very delicate work. You, you're dealing with a translation. And the Rambam writes his schedule, and he says, I don't have time to breathe during the day because of all the patients I have to see and so on and so forth. I can't, I don't have the time to give you. So, obviously, when the Rambam was a doctor, um, he could not have been, you know, it, it did not coincide. The two kufas of life did not seem to coincide based on these two letters. Raja being a winemaker, we have no idea. Um, the, the real issue is certainly it's the preferred mode of doing things. The problem is if, if a doctor has to spend 12 years doing medical school where 99% of the day is taken up with studies that he needs to do, you wouldn't want to go to a doctor that, that had spent his years of training doing other things. In today's world, the Ram sets up the ideal as working three hours a day for Parnassa and spending the rest of the time learning. That doesn't exist today anymore except unless there are people who do it, there are people who are very good business people, they've inherited a business, they can have the business run on, on uh, you know, sort of autopilot and be misasic. It's really good, it has a lot of bias, and, and it means that you're not beholden to people, but the reality of that being true today, it's almost impossible. Um, I mean, look, a, a normal doctor, 12 years, you can't learn more. An hour a day is a luxury to learn when you're training. And when you work as a doctor, I mean, most doctors work 10, 12 hours a day, and they still are, are barely ahead of the game. They're always complaining. I mean, I live in a town with lawyers. They're coming home 9, 10 o'clock at night. So the question is, show me the reality of being able to do the amount of learning and, the, and, 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 it's, and I think in a certain sense, it used to be, society used to be people grew their own food, made their own clothing. They were very self-sufficient because the level of economy was kind of very simple. Today, we split it up. And one person, you know, sews buttons on a shirt. And one person bakes bread. And one person puts the crust on top of the bread. And that's the way society has become. It, it's almost impossible to develop a person that can have both. So, so Baruch Hashem, we can hope for B'nai Torah, people who are in the workforce and are Torah people, their values are Torah, they set time aside for learning, and, and that's a very, it's a double chashev and But if you want people to be chashev and learning, um, it's really, really different. I always wondered, yes, you want to ask me? I, I, you know, I, I, I was thinking, someone has asked me, you know, why, why, you know, about Rabbanim being more well-rounded, learning more things, and so on and so forth. They appreciate this, Rabbis learned this, this, that. And a lot of times it comes at the expense of Torah. Very rarely, occasionally you get a person who's brilliant and really knows a lot. So imagine you, you had a problem with your heart, and you go to a cardiologist. And you ask somebody for a recommendation, I'd like, to, I'd like a cardiologist. And the guy says, Dr. So-and-so, he's fantastic. Because, you know, he's not one of these narrow people that just focuses on cardiology. He, he, he goes to the opera once a week. He reads up on the latest things. He's, he, he's into sports. He's, he's also done a side field on, 
you know, middle age history, and this and that, the other thing, and you say, you know, he sounds like a fantastic man, maybe I can have him for dinner one week, but you have another cardiologist. You're asking a Rav Shaila. So if the person is a serious Talmud Chacham, you would expect him to put a big part of his life and focus into learning. Um, you know, it's, it's Rav was the Rav of Silver Spring. He came there as a young man of 26 from Tells. He was brilliant. He was a guy in Ireland. Very, very smart, very sharp. He had not gone to college. The town, Washington, consisted of scientists. There was the scientist shul. There's still Dr. Spetner. Admev Essam still lives in poverty. He's a wonderful person. He was one of the founders. And, you know, he came, he spoke. He made a very, very good impression. And then someone asked him, by the way, Rabbi, what's your college education? He said, I don't have any. He says, well, you know, this is a scientist shul. He said, he asked how many people in the room have a doctorate? And about a third of the people raised their hands. And how many have a master's? And almost everybody raised their hand. And how many have at least a bachelor's? Everybody. He said, you know, you're not missing any scientists, but there's not one Talmud Chacham in the room here. He said, so, so what, like, he said, why is it that you're demanding of me to, you know, you need somebody who can pass a shilas, learn with you, teach, and so on. It is important. I'm not knocking. It's important in today's day and age when you meet anyone who does plan to go out to Chinuch, to Rabbanus, needs to have an acquaintance with the ideas. The Rishonim were well acquainted with the science, the ideas of their age and time and age. It is, it's not something unimportant, but you need to realign it. And it's not, I can't think of any profession today that a person would do it seriously that would allow him to grow to be a Talmud Chacham. It, it, you know, the only prognosis would be a business type of thing where you have a set business and your involvement is kind of set and so on. But other than that, it's just the... So it's understandable that in, when, when learning Gemara, you need a kiss and beer. But yes. which one exactly is the Iker? It's a machlokas. It's a machlokas in the Gemara. So let me, let me answer a question like this. There are two stages in your learning. One stage is when you're climbing up the mountain. In other words, you're coming from not knowing how to learn to knowing how to learn, which means getting skills, basic skills, getting more mature, sophisticated skills of you know, thinking about what you've learned, getting vocabulary, and getting some basic elementary bank of ideas. That's very hard to say which is more important because they're both important. And, you know, if, if you, Rav Kifta said once, today's age people know more and more about less and less until they'll know everything about nothing. You know, so, so it's important to know a lot and important to have skills, reading skills, learning skills, thinking skills. What's a kasha? What's not a kasha? So on. When a person has sort of gotten to the plateau where he's got skills on, it depends on a person's tumas anefesh. Some people are cut out for really taking part of sugya, saying very good yisodos, you know, good kashas and eon type material. Some people are good at memorizing a tremendous amount, getting things down. At the point where a person passes the level of being a tamachachim to some degree, it depends on your nature, and, and a person should follow he, what he does and so on and so forth. Uh, what consists of Minha Kamako and when does it apply? Um, okay, it is a parak in, 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 in Psachim. 
Mokum Shenagu, anybody who really wants to know if Menegah Mokum should learn it, the, the real, the devil is in applying it. It used to be that a town had a set Bezdin, uh, a set Marad Asra, and however he would paskin would be the Psak for the town. So if he paskin, for instance, like Rebbeisu paskin that Basabachal of his Mutter, it was Mutter in that town. And towns were very independent, and each Psak and each Bezdin had its own, um, you know, that was it. Today, two things changed. First of all, we have cities, like a city like New York has a thousand communities, um, you know, battering each other. Most people belong to no real community. Most people just stop where it's convenient to stop. They don't feel allegiance to any particular community. How do you deal with that? Um, and also, if, if the person who's the rub in the town is not a Tamil I was also thinking about Reb Chaim Kanyevsky online, and the person in front of me asked Reb Chaim Kanyevsky, is very blunt and very laconic. You know, his answers are, are, are sharp and, and sometimes quite uh, blunt. And this person asked him, you know, if the Rav in town, if the Rav in my town, it sounded like it was a hick town someplace, said something, is it, you know, does the town have to go by it? And he said, if the Rav is a Talmud Chacham, yes, if it's an Amar, it's not. You know, so the question is, if a person comes to a place where the Minigam Mokram is built, where the Rav is not a Talmud Chacham in any sense of the word, it's not just different opinions, is that binding? The answer would be no. Um, you know, it, it, what about things that are not halacha? The minigam mokum is that 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 what they throw that they throw the candies they throw for a chassan are raisins and almonds. Is that minigam mokum? Minigam mokum has to be something with a halachic basis for it, either a halachic basis or a takana. It has to make sense from a from from a Torah point of view that there's a reason why you're doing it, and it has to be established by Hamad Chacham, and it has to be universal. This town is one community, one Rav, and this is what they do over here. Um, there are other reasons. A lot of the, the, the Gemara, it, it's not clear in the Sugi, but the, one of the bases for Minigam Makom is the sinner that it generates. In other words, when people do things differently than are normally done in town, um, people don't like it, they get upset. So generally speaking, it is appropriate when you come to a town to, um, to do what people do. In other words, if people are davening in a certain way, even if it's not halacha, you know, not, not, to, make, not to rock the boat, if, it's, if it is a community and it has a certain way of doing things, it's appropriate not to try to rock the boat. But binding is only the, the three conditions I told you. It has to be a halachic minute. It has to have some status with halacha. It has to have been established by somebody who's a Talmud Chacham and it has a halachic basis for it. And, and, and that there's one community and a clearly defined community. Which Yerushalayim is, for those of you who haven't guessed it yet, Yerushalayim is a, is a crazy quilt of communities, unfortunately. Even though there's many Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim is just, uh, you know, there's tons of communities. It's, uh, just last week we had a speech about Kashos, you know, there's a bunch of share. Well, see, that's, for instance, Hachshayrim is not Minigamokom really as much as it's, it's, first of all, realistically speaking, the, the kashras, the, the quality of the kashras is different. Um, you know, if somebody tells you what's the difference, what car you bought, a car is a car, you would laugh at him. I mean, it's an issue with kashras. If, if the crowd that somebody is servicing doesn't care about kashras, then how much, how well do you think that that kashras is? It, 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 you, when you want to check up on Kashras, who's the crowd 
that they're trying to service. If it's a crowd that couldn't care less, and just as long as it says kosher, so, so how much do you really think the person will care? Um, and it's also, people have to understand, it's very difficult to, running a kosher thing is difficult because there's a tug of war between the people selling the stuff and the mashkichim and the rabbanim. The, the people selling the stuff think that the mashkichim are a pain in the neck. You know, he's always getting my way, he's always telling me to do this, to that, the other thing. It, it's not as simple as it appears and on paper. There's a constant tug of war. You know, he needs more letters, and the mashkir is taking forever to check the letters. So what do you think he's going to do if he's not a, if he's not a from person? I mean, I'll tell you the truth. Personally, I, I don't feel comfortable eating in a place that the owner, I don't think, is Yerei Shemayim, even if he has a good heksha, because it's a constant battle. I, there was a story in Washington, uh, um, in, in, in a town which happens to have a good kashras. This is about three-quarters of a year ago, one of the bachim in yeshiva was a mashkiach in the JCC. And he's a very shrewd bacha. He's actually actually a very good mashkiach. And he's always wary of them trying to pull a fast one over him. So they told him, oh, we need to go check letters in another room. We need more letters. He said to himself, they don't need more letters. Something strange. He went to the other room, and he snuck back, and he saw the guy bring in a dozen Safeway steaks because they had run out of steaks, and they didn't want to wait for a kosher livery, and Safeway is much cheaper. So they had sent him off to check letters, and he went to buy, and they, and they bought same sex. They, they, they closed the place down on the spot. But if he wouldn't have been shrewd enough, if, if he would have been, couldn't care less type of person, this would go on. It, it's very, it, and it, you know, the owner was not even Jewish, but he was under Ashkacha, and it's a constant battle. It's not as easy as you think it is. People, you know, it's, it's not the owner's interest. It's the owner's interest to have a note that says kosher. It's not his interest to keep having the guy nudge him. I mean, a, a guy is not supposed to. You're supposed to wait for the Jew to come and put the stove on. So what do you do if the mashkir calls in and says, I'm going to be late an hour. This person serves breakfast at 6 in the morning. It's a, it's a breakfast takeout place. And there's no, no omelets and no hot cereal. What do you think he's going to do? He'll find a way to, to light the stove. You know, it, it, it'll, he'll find a way and he'll excuse himself and, and he'll apologize and curse. But... You know, that's the end. That's, it's not as simple as you think it is. Is that anything really these days? What? No. The <laughs> next um, question is, um, I mean, I don't know how many people here know about this. Um, what do we say to a conservative or a foreign Jew who brings up the Gemara of Torah Loba Vashemayim? Okay. I, I would answer sharply. It's, it's also not the Shol Tachtis. But, you know, that, that, that would be a... I, they wouldn't know what Shol Tachtis means, and I see... <laughs> um, Torah means that when people paskin it according to halacha, they, they sit, they know that dan lamita shal Torah, any psak is good. When the psak is not lamita shal Torah, it's, it, it, it's not, it's, it's, you can ask him back again, and this is one of the points about conservative reform issues. In order to define yourself, you need to have something that's inviolate. Well, let's ask ourselves, where do we draw the line? How, how do you approach the difference between us and, and reform slash conservative? To define yourself, if I have a club, my club is the Democratic Party. I have a Democratic Party. So someone will come and ask me, well, what does Democratic Party stand for? So let's say answer, we take a look around and see what people want to hear, and that's what we stand for. So that's another way of saying we don't stand for anything. It's like, what shape... Is, is, is protoplasm, whatever shape you want. It doesn't have a shape. So what does it mean, the religion that can become whatever you want? 
It's anti-Zionist, pro-Zionist, semi-pro-Zionist, depending on what what's current. And if the answers, so so if they can't answer that, then that then it don't exist. You're telling me you are what people want you to be. So you're not a religion. You're a a, um, a kind of PR agency. You, you know, you're you're a service agency. You, it's like you're a restaurant. You don't, you know, it's it's not a sheet of any sort. It's not ideal. If the answer is we're about goodness and kindness, that's that's a good one. It puts us in the same club as Christians, as Buddhists, as as most people, as atheists. So so so, if if you ask him to to define yourself, the word fine is a line. Infinite means it has no boundaries. Define yourself. What is inviolate? And if if they have no answers, they don't exist. And if they have it, so what do you mean, Loba Shemayim? If the Bible is what you want it to be, then for all practical purposes, it doesn't exist. The Torah says that um, gay relations are usher. If if that became mutter, so who says stealing is usher? I have to think stealing is mutter. Who said um, who, who said uh, um, adultery is usher? People don't. People think it's wrong. Okay, so don't tell me the Torah said. Tell me the congregations think that it's wrong. But 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 there's no by definition religion is coming down with a definition and saying this is it. But if it's whatever you mean it to be, whatever you want it to mean, halacha even hetair the common halacha are always within the framework of halacha, and you 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 know you you do a hundred and one contortions to fit an eruv is an eruv. And an Eruv, you know, it, it, it doesn't avoid the halacha, it keeps the halacha. It's the hardest Masechta's Erevin, because you need to keep those details. You know, you can use your Chachm within the details, but you need to keep them. And I think you can, you can put the person on the spot and say, well, tell me how you define yourself. And if, if the term is something vague that fits everybody, then you haven't defined yourself. What you're telling me is a wonderful definition. It fits any decent human being. You're, you're honest, upright, caring, sensitive, socially aware, uh, you know, intelligent, seeking, searching. Fine. That, that defines anybody who's who, who has who has a tzuras You know, it, it, it's a, you know, it's, so, so why call it Judaism? You know, it's uh, I think Christianity stands for these things. You know, and, uh, but Islam. What? <laughs> 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 they have other ideals. It's, it's a. They got style. Oh, they got no, style. Last question. Uh, okay, last question. Um, how do we bat in today's day and age, uh, especially you know with, uh, with the Muslim movement obviously not being the same one as when it was when it had its inception? How do we balance Godless Adam and Shitless Adam? Okay. Um, I, I guess for for should I explain what those yeah, where yeah, coming from? Okay. <laughs> I. Um, the, it, Musa, you know, let's go back a step or two. Um, you took into account the longer answer. You said the last question, right? Okay. The, the Musa movement was one of the movements that came into Klai Yisrael as a reaction to what they felt, like Hasidim, was too much focus on the details of the law and not enough on the spirit of the law. Um, Hasidim had their way of dealing with it, with the singing, the dancing, the slavas. Musa tried to do it through introspection and thinking a lot about the self. Rebbe Salanta was the one who established it. It's mid-1800s. And in the literature world, that was similar to Hasidim. There were a few trends in Musa. One was the Vardic, 
which focused on ripping off the shreds. The basic message was, you're full of it. You know, that's you don't really mean it. It's a game, and you're suspect. That was, and you know, I think all of us can can apply it to us. I, you know, without embarrassment, we can feel it's a lot of it. And they worked very hard at doing things to break the cell network. The other extreme, there were many, was Slavotka that said to, to people, you are the prince. Is that the way you should be acting? I mean, how does a prince act? There was a, a, a joke, kind of a, an anecdote type of joke, that there were three Muslim movements. Uh, there was a middle road called Kelm, and they described it as follows. Nevardik said, if the world is wearing a tie, we will discard it. Kelm said, if everybody wears a tie, wear a tie as well. And Slabotka said, who should be wearing the tie if not for us? So that was the godless autumn approach. Now, the truth is, down deep, so every, every one of those movements had its advantages, but it's, it's disadvantage also. Sometimes a person does better when he rips himself up, when he sort of peels away a lot of the built-up nonsense and, you know, and, and, and haughtiness and, and you know, conceit and so on. And sometimes a person needs to live up to a higher image of himself. Um, you know, you take, you, you take a, 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 a kid, a bar mitzvah kid, and you dress him in a nice suit and so on, and, and he's not playing in the mud anymore because he feels grown up. So for us, that we're not part of any particular movement, the answer is, um, and that's why it's important to have a Rebbe, to guide you personally. For some people, revolver writes, uh, let, let me give you an anecdote in yeshiva. This is a personal anecdote, not a revolver. Um, if you don't have a Rebbe, you take your natural personal problems and multiply them. There was a fellow in the meal learned together with me, a very wonderful boy. His problem was he was as slow and as deliberate as molasses. He pondered everything, agonized everything. He even spoke slowly, and it was difficult. And it was across the board, a wonderful person, a, a, a masmid, a bentora, a, a gentle person, but he was slow, indecisive, and so on. He said in Rabbi Chaim Shlavitz's shmuz, Rabbi Chaim had a, a shmuz, it, it was called Nefesh Mi Behold, that's the title of it. He said it over many times, and it was about how terrible a mida impulsiveness is. And when people do things impulsively and just, you know, off the, the, the top of their heads, they always mess up. And he would finish it, Rabbi Chaim had a, a little snippet from the Shainis, Nefesh Mi Behold that we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu should save our nefesh from behilus. Behilus means this person, this person I'm talking about came over to a, fr a mutual friend after the shmuz. said, Gedalia. Oh, he said, I I'm not going to take the time to, 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 to give the time that he took. He basically said, Reb Chaim Shmuz opened his eyes to how terribly impulsive he is. <laughs> and how, and how, you know, how off the hat he goes. And he's macabre on himself to do things much more deliberately, but a lot more thought and a lot more thing. I, I mean, I, I assume somebody set him straight because the guy is married and so on. But if, if you don't, you know, for a person like that, it's poison. You have people that are naturally depressed. And when they start thinking about that you're nobody and you're full of it, 
it, it's, 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 it's a one-way ticket down. You have people that are naturally conceited and naturally full of it, and they think, ah, I'm chashem, I have to keep myself chashem, and so on. Both of them are important tools. The, the, a connection with the Rebbe is invaluable, simply so that someone can tell you, you know, the work that you need done in yourself, this is a much better way to go with it. This is a much better way to go with it. So both of those movements are, gave us tools that are important for development, but nothing beats a personal connection to Rebbe. And I, I want to, um, I, I, I want to say something about uh, the setting, like here and the setting. One of the problems in America today is yeshivas. Yeshiva University is a huge place, and what happens is a huge place can give you a lot of things, but you lose out on a Rebbe relationship unless you make it your business to have one. When you go through a year like this in yeshivas and Israel, where, where, I mean, I'm always jealous for many reasons. In that Sodic Yeshivas, they have a lot more rebellion per student than they can have in America. At least not financially. In that's Israel, it's much easier to have many rebellion than it is in America. People don't realize a yeshiva and personal growth has a lot to do with having cash with a Rebbe. Um, I, I know some of the rebellion here, and it's a wonderful group. You're Zoha to have people that are, you know, that, that are people you look up to and people that you can relate to. I would tell you to keep that Kesha, and wherever life takes in the next stages, um, there are very, very special people in Yeshiva University. Make it your business to hook on to somebody. Find yourself a Rebbe, somebody that it needs two things. You need to be able to look up to the person, and you need to be able to, and you need to be able to understand where you're coming from. It's, it's, you need to have ideals that you can grow into, and you need to be able to understand where you are and what's the right thing for you. There is no amount of sfarim and no amount of self-thinking will produce it because whatever crookedness we have within us stays unless somebody taps on the shoulder and says, you know, you're going the wrong direction. This is not where you should be going. So I guess it's as a good note to leave off on is the difference between a yeshiva and a university slash college slash institution is a rebbe. And learn to have a kesher with the rebbe use that Kesha, keep that Kesha, and wherever environment you are, you know, in Metzashem, when you grow up, you get married, and you have a family, when you move to community, one of the things you look on is the rub in the community, somebody that I look up to, and that will help me move. When you're, when you're, when you're married and you're established, you don't stop growing, you grow more slowly, but you still need that environment. But it's, it's probably the most important thing you can get it in this year, and, and it's the most important thing to have in the years to come. Okay, thank you very much.